1: Through a minute to go here in the first half. Stunning. 27-point lead. Down goes Johnson oh no. oh, no. They're
2: shredding him. Oh, no, he didn't. Luka Doncic is absolutely putting on a show here in the Valley.
3: Son of Slovenia,
1: cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds. Here
3: comes Welcome to 77 Minutes, the Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only Mavericks podcast you should always draft first. Even if there's another podcast that's maybe a little bigger, a little taller, maybe went to a college near your local town, you still draft us first. Are we? Hang
4: on. Are, you're starting with the pettiest possible angle here. Petty is the
5: theme of this series. Victory, I think. There's been a lot of petty going on. I think we're just in the
3: spirit. What I'm saying is, we're the Luka Doncic of podcasts.
5: Got the theme song and everything. Yeah, we I are mean, a bunch of motherfuckers. Attaboy. Yeah,
3: boy.
5: You there saw it I is. tweeted that. attributed to the great philosopher Dave Dufour.
3: There it is. All right. What a good lord! That that I was so I was in Phoenix, and I still do not believe what I saw in Game Seven. That that was one of the most unbelievable, remarkable, embarrassing for the Suns games that I have ever seen, ever. I'm Tim Cato. We've got Dave Dufour, Mike Pellucci, Austin Gruea. We've got the whole gang. Everybody's here, coming in hot. But I I like I I was so excited that I had to say. What that game seven was before I could even say my name. Because that was, I, I'm, I don't have words. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not a, this is awful podcasting because there aren't good words to describe how wretched Phoenix was, how dominant that beatdown was from the Mavericks, how good Luka was. It was a colossal ass
4: kicking. Yeah. And it was two games of it. Now, there were a lot of reasons why it happened, and we're going to get into it. But the biggest one is that Dallas was the tougher team. The whole series, they were the tougher team. Their, 100%. When the shots fell, you, you saw that Phoenix just had nothing. When the shots were going in, you could watch their – I mean, the, their, their spirits were leaving their body. And in and game I, seven, it wasn't even – Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock didn't even do it to them.
3: It was amazing. I think I told Austin this at some point. Um, If they had reset the series after game six, I would have picked Dallas in five. At at most six, Dallas made adjustments after the first two games that I, frankly, with the way those first two games went, I was not expecting. I I don't think a lot of us were. Um, But full credit to this team, they figured out ways and things and adjustments and, and tweaks that turned what was headed towards a dominant Phoenix win. Like it clearly was headed that direction after the first two games. And I think the sun should look back at game three and think, Oh boy, even though Dallas was starting to figure it out that game. Oh boy. They got to look back at game three and think, yeah, they, they, they could have won that. Yeah. And I then after I that, it was the series was over, you know, like Dallas adjusted. They had one bad quarter that extended it to a game seven, they were the better team starting in game three, and it wasn't that close. Well, I think
5: what you just said about betting after game six is relevant
3: because it's not only for me
5: that they, you know, what the series was after game two, I think game six was the first one that I looked at and I thought, oh, they really are better, you know? Because over at D Magazine, is Todd Franco and I have written after every single game and it's talk handles the tactics, I handle the vibes, right? And really in games three and four, in retrospect, Game 3 was a game that they outplayed them. Game 4 was was fluky on a few, a few levels, right? That was that first half where they hit – at one point, they were hitting 69% of their threes. That was when they got every call you possibly could get. Game 4 didn't feel like they were better, right? When it was 2-2, it felt like, okay, they're in this. They're fighting. These, you know, these Mavericks don't quit, which is something we've known since the Utah series, right? These dudes will not beat themselves. Then you have Game 5 where they self-destruct in the third quarter. And you're thinking, all right, it's been a good run. But it was Game 6 – and then obviously, you get game seven, but game six was the one where I looked and said, you know what? They look like the better team. Like, there are no junk ball gimmicks. There's no friendly whistles. There's no three point luck. They just look better and they look pissed off. And then that all culminates in whatever the hell we watched yesterday.
2: Yeah. I mean, everybody's tough when they're up. That was. <laughs> yeah. That was an unbelievable performance. And honestly, that was an embarrassing performance by Phoenix. I was honest. I was I've never been embarrassed for another team that actually that it funny enough. It reminded me of that year. The Cowboys lost to the Eagles 44 to six in the last game of the season. And everyone just felt embarrassed and didn't want to talk to anybody about the Cowboys for like 12 months. That was one of the most gutless losses I have ever seen by a team. They they were not in game seven for a single minute. Not a minute. Not, not a, a single minute. second. They didn't make a run. They didn't have any moment where they Dallas felt threatened or scared. That Phoenix crowd was in shock. I feel I almost feel like they should get a refund for the paying the The Suns off got, got to go to booed,
4: man. The Suns got yeah. booed. And listen, and I'm that's sorry, Claim Philly. You haven't been good enough long enough to boo your team. I yeah. see. I Why
1: don't know. Do
5: expectations. If there's ever a time where you should boo, where I was sitting there going, you know what? Okay. Like if I was the Alonzo morning beam about the fans booing the Suns, that was that game yesterday. I was like, yeah, I think you've yeah. earned it. I think you've earned a right.
4: They're soft. They're soft. They got they got booed because they're soft. And, and listen, man, uh, the, the Mavericks just punched him in the mouth and didn't stop. That literally was hammer fit. It was ground and pound the entire game. DeAndre Ayton played 17 minutes. He's he's leaving Phoenix. He's this gone. this this six game six and game uh, wh- why seven. Why
3: would Phoenix want him the team. back if that's how he's going to play?
4: Now, that's a weird it, situation. It's, it's more
3: complicated than it that. It is but, more complicated. But, but you know. It's an, he was, it's an indictment. He's the player who was supposed yeah. to beat the Mavericks. And look, the Mavericks are really good. And when Maxi Kleber is playing like he is right now, like they wouldn't be here. I, I don't know why I want go to go to Maxi so early. The Maverick, But the, the Mavericks he's wouldn't be ridiculous. here without him playing. Right. This is the best basketball of his career. And I know it's kind of weird to just... I, I wasn't planning to, to mention him this early. The Mavericks wouldn't be here without him. He, like, he unlocks the highest level of of what they're trying to do. They can play, they can get every benefit of small ball without going small. What right. other team in the league can do that? He's an all-NBA
4: level defender. I mean, he, he really, he really. if he played more minutes, we he would get more buzz, but he is a guy who defensively, there are no question marks for him. And when him sticking the shot, and I have no idea how the hell he's just able to shoot now. Right, like I've been. Did he start doing yoga? Is it? Is he using the Calm app? (laughs) I I, like. I'm not sure what the fuck has happened with this guy. But he's. I mean, this is one of those things where you just got to throw your hands up as an analyst. I watched this guy stop shooting. He hit what 19 percent or
3: something? What What was the 18.8 after the All Star break?
4: Yeah. Um. I mean. And us kind of saying, well, if Maxi will make shots, not expecting this guy to do it. Where did but, I come? Think that's, what?
5: but you can say that about a few guys in this team, right? I mean, you, you talk about players being dispensable. There are any number, probably what, five or six guys that if one of them doesn't play the way that they're playing, this team doesn't work. And it's a testament to how good of a job Jason Kidd is doing. It's a testament to how these guys buy in, that they are pushing everything they have to the limit. Right. That's their big edge. That and Luca, when you look at this final four, you look at Phoenix, you look at Utah, what's the common denominator? It's they might be more talented than Dallas, but they're soft. And Dallas does not get beat by soft. Whatever. I wrote I wrote this sometime after game six. Right. This whole analogy of Phoenix basically being the bully. And it's like, look, when they go into game seven, they have to deliver a knockout blow because you're not going to make Dallas tap. You will not make them quit. And that's the best thing I can say about this team. I don't know how far they can go. I'm done betting against them after what we just saw, because I was the one who said Phoenix and six, I'm not doing that next round. What I do know is this, wherever they go is exactly where they should go because they're maximizing everything they have. If they lose, whether it's next round or whether it's the finals, nobody barring something shocking is going to say they should have done more. They have done everything they can do. And that's a testament to the intangibles and the culture that they've developed. That shit's real. Right. Look at Utah. Look at Phoenix. You want to know why culture is real? Because those guys didn't do anything close to what they should talent-wise.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And just to make one more point about Maxi, he's shooting four and a half threes a game at 49 percent. He's not just kind of shooting good. It's not like, oh, he's like making some to keep them honest. He's nuking teams like that's That's crazy. If he's going to shoot 49 percent from three, they can win a title. If you have your spacing five shooting 50% on threes and defending the rim and switching on guards and making life miserable for everybody on the defensive end. And they're tough. And then that goes for Dorian and Reggie. They're both shooting above 40% from three. If you have three guys who are great perimeter defenders and they can switch and they can all hit threes at that high of a clip, that's elite. No
3: other team in the NBA has that.
2: That is I'm, I don't think a team has is anywhere close to that.
3: You, you know what Maxi is. He's what Dallas wanted Chris Tasperzingus to be. Yeah, this he is exactly why literally exactly the player that they hoped Chris Stapps would be and probably the player that Chris Stapps should be trying to be if he hadn't been built up with all the hype, which isn't his fault. He didn't ask to be drafted by the Knicks. And
4: he's a different he's really is a different player than than Maxi. But right. Yeah. Well, yes, but he's more like he's a he's a tall ass guard and Maxi yeah. is a big like he's purely a big and I mean. Clearly, Kristaps is a big, but it's a
3: different thing. The switchability strength. is the big difference there. Yeah. It, it, that's the huge, huge, huge difference. But in terms of like, like Kristaps wasn't a floor space. He he was he wasn't he wasn't like he wasn't he he never hit threes at at the rate and in the you know just like he didn't want to sh- spot up and hit threes like he would he would take them. But it was it was always something that just wasn't quite there with with his shooting. That it, you know obviously he shot. Very poorly the season from from three, but you know, in, in terms of, of Maxi, you know we saw like Maxi was shooting 18 point eight percent, and it was worse than that in the final couple months of the regular season. He was avoiding shots. He was so he- reluctant to take them, that he was dribbling into weird looks. Now he's dribbling and dunking only because someone's closing out so aggressively on him that you know, it's the right play to do. Rather than, you know, just just a a hesitation to actually take them. Yeah, no, completely different player.
4: Compare that to the way that Utah played him, right, where you just don't expect this guy to make shots. He's going to have to prove it. Well, now he's proven it. I I still I can't. This is the craziest thing in the playoffs to me is Maxi just turning into Steph Curry. It it just doesn't make any sense. That's unbelievable. but but we talked about this in the lead up to the playoffs where if they were gonna make a run, they needed Maxi to do this because you need Maxi's defense, and in order to get his defense, you need him to stick shots. Now him sticking shots to the degree that he is, I did no one expected that. If he had hit three out of ten in in the Utah series, we probably would all have been like, Hey, not bad. Good job, buddy. And and he I mean had a game where he hit eight. This okay, the nuts. other player
3: that the other player that is, we can say, okay, this is nuts, and we should, probably should talk about Luca here in a second. But uh, we're <laughs> not a, we're not an SEO driven driven podcast. Well, we'll, we'll put Luca stuff. in the title, what? and it'll get what picked up. He- <laughs> See, that's the trick. What the rest of rain down. We'll, well, we'll get to Luca. <laughs> what the what the hell, Spencer Dinwiddie? What like what? He had one What's good happening? game someone in the Someone explain this to me. Someone someone explain this to me. He was, he due. was just he was just do. He's a good player. He d-
2: Play, he, did, he was getting good shots, and he was just missing all the shots the entire playoffs, and he was just due to have a hot night, and he got in a good rhythm, and once, you, once he got to that rhythm, he's he's a very rhythm player, especially as a jumper when he gets a step back going to the right. Once he gets into a rhythm, he's a pretty hard guy to stop, and then he he also he looked he looked healthier in this game. Even his drives to the rim, he was getting all the way to the rim blowing by bigs. I think he felt fresh with the two days off. He is coming off of an ACL injury, and I think the two days off really did help him. See, that's a good thing to remember, and I'm glad
4: you said that, Austin, because I think it gets overlooked so often. These guys, I mean, he just started looking like Spencer Dinwiddie, what, two, three months ago? It's still a game-by-game thing for guys coming off the knee. Look at Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson was god-awful for a lot of the playoffs so far, and then what? He wins them game six. Well, him and Kevon Looney. But the guys coming off of a uh, off an injury like a c l or Achilles, they're gonna be up and down, and especially a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie who needs to be able to attack you off the dribble to fully unlock his game if he can't attack you off the dribble, then the step back's not there for him. It's similar
3: and he's to Luka, a little bit of an player. up and down player already, yeah, you exactly know, he's not a star. Yeah. right right
5: and but it's it's I wouldn't say it's needed because you don't need the downs, but everything until game seven from every other guy in the roster, it almost felt like they were maxed out. Like, yeah, maybe Jalen could have gotten closer to the round one production, but I don't think Jalen against a defensive team like Phoenix is a 27 a night guy, right? Everybody else was pushed to the limit. You could not get more from Maxi. You could not get more from the wings. You could not get more from uh, even Bertans with how erratic his three point shooting is. Dinwiddie was the one variable and Dinwiddie came through last night and, you know, best case scenario, he's something close to effective in golden state, but even if nothing else, He's erratic again. Golden State has to pay attention to him now. Because until yesterday, after two series, what he did, I'm sure Steve Kerr was not thinking, all right, we gotta worry about Spencer Dinwiddie. But now, yeah, they gotta pay attention to that. That's one more variable on a team that really is playing seven and a half guys they trust at this point.
3: I forget they, who said this, but every great playoff team needs three creators or they need two undisputed like playmakers. Like you you but you gotta that almost never happens. You almost never have two shot creators at a high enough level that you can just trust those two Phoenix tried. They thought they did. Look what happened. Having three changes the way that you can play offense. It, it, it unlocks in the same way that maxi unlocks so much about this team uh, and in the style that they can play. Having three creators is in, in three different types of creators that, you know, Luca and, and Brunson have some overlaps, but, Brunson creates differently than Luca creates differently than Dinwiddie, and as we look at this team in the way they have been successful and even more successful since the Kristaps trade, it is so clear that three shot creators. Even if it's not the you know, even if you're not married to Spencer Dinwiddie, even if it's another a third shot creator at some later point, maybe it's two other shot creators, totally different shot creators around around Luca. Maybe you can go get that undisputed second guy, and you only need the two. There's a lot of options and there's a lot of flexibility in the way you could eventually build the team over several more seasons. But having three is so clearly, you know, they found something. They found something with these three and that matters. You know, should we uh <laughs> <laughs> Baby. I was going to say,
4: should we talk about Luca? Um I don't I'm not quite sure how to describe this guy, right? Um I mean m- motherfucker aside, right? Like I mean, we all know <laughs> that one. He is like the <laughs> I'll tell you, him and Nikola Jokic have certainly flipped the script on what people think about Euro guys. I think you see yeah. that from the way other players talk about him. Pat Beverly has been all over TV because Chris Paul looked awful, right? Like I love this. Uh, this is so we're, we're keeping it petty, but but Pat Beverly, he was talking about. He was like, "Look, man, we had myself, which I love he, that he included himself. Uh, we had Paul George, we had Kawhi Leonard, we had you know Marquise Morris. We you know we had if tough dudes, but." T- didn't matter. Luka was still giving him the business, and he was giving him credit, right? Like, I mean, that's this is one of the things that NBA players have been reticent to do for Euro guys, and you just see. I mean, they know that Luka is the dude, right? And he's tough. Look at some of these buckets. That, I mean, he was posting up Aiton. You didn't talk about being soft. Posting up Aiton in the middle of the paint. He had nothing for him. Chris Paul, okay, great, man. Chris Paul, sometimes great against big guys. We all think back to when he guarded KD that one time in a post-up. Eh, Luka didn't care. Whoever they threw at him, it did not matter. He out-toughed them. He out-thought them. And then he went six for 11 from three.
3: (laughs) There was no answer. You couldn't stop him. And every time he made a shot, he just laughed about it. Just went right back down the court, smiling, beaming, laughing. Like that's that's a that's a top tier level of disrespect. Like respectful disrespect. I don't know. Like it's it's not it's not show upping, but it's like it's, it's just it's like, like it's short it's just one of those moments where it's like we're better. We're better I am better than you.
5: And that's, and you know it. I think that's an underrated thing about You know, inevitably, he is always compared to Dirk. He will always be compared to Dirk. And they're they're so different in every possible way. But this is one that I don't think we talk about, right? Because when Dirk, yeah, you know, Dirk is such a nice guy, but Dirk knew how to channel that competitive asshole when he needed to win, especially when they won the title. But I think Dirk, in a lot of ways, is sort of the platonic ideal of what you want to think you'd be like if you were a great athlete. Like, I would be a great athlete who's also just this very kind, humble person most of the time, who doesn't go out of his way to talk shit which is all well and good, but it is also really fun to watch a dude who is so good and knows he's so good and isn't going to be punked and is going to let you know he's not going to be punked. And that's the Luca experience, right? That means like Austin said, you know, Oh, everybody's tough when they're up. Okay. Or just like how he, you know, he knew when Devin, when Booker got, you know, got fouled and did the whole Luca special thing, just like he knew at halftime and wasn't afraid to admit it. Yeah. I knew I was not scoring as many points as they were. It is. I mean, it's almost a Kobe like mentality to the way he approaches this and it's so different and it's so it's not even one is better or worse than the other it's just very refreshing because we're used to seeing a European player dominate stylistically in a different way but really he's he it's not just style it's mentality too
2: yeah that was honestly a lot like that series LeBron played in Toronto where the entire city of Toronto knew that LeBron was just going to destroy them from the jump I think that, that those first eight points that he scored, he gets the post up against Aiton and just shoots a fadeaway over him, which is insane. Aiton is not something he should be, someone he should be able to post up. Aiton is seven two. He's a very large, strong man, even if he plays soft around the rim sometimes. He posts him up, and then he hits a three over him. And then he hits a step-back three. Then he hits another one. And you could hear the entire Phoenix crowd just, like, slump their shoulders. And then that was it. And then the rest of the game, it was like... The entire Phoenix team, their fans, their organization, the entire state of Arizona just knew that Luka Doncic was about to destroy that team for 48 minutes. It was honestly – it was pretty shocking. He even took someone like Cam Johnson, who I did not consider a bad defender before the series, and just turned him into a – I think he cost Cam Johnson money. I I think he might get less money on his extension just because of that series. Cam Johnson could get traded for draft pick. No. Yeah, I don't – that was – I thought he was a very good player, and he just – did away with him. They did not have a single person who wanted to guard. Mikhail Bridges, second and defensive player of the year, he scoffed at that. He made Mikael just look like just some random guy off the street. I forgot that he was even good at defense. He, Everyone on the Phoenix Suns knew that they could get it at any moment, and none of them wanted to come to the dance floor with Luka because he was that guy. I've never seen such a psych, so much psychological warfare in one game seven. That is one of the greatest performances I have ever seen in a game seven
3: and and i i think if there's any way that we could even try to explain why the suns melted down like that it's it is a psychological aspect that for multiple games in a row luka got every switch he wanted and then did what he wanted and devin booker and chris paul could not get out of these traps they could not get to their spots there was there is something demoralizing about a team doing like making you play the way they want and you know it. And I, I still still will never fully understand. I don't think we're ever going to fully understand what happened to the Suns in game seven. But I think if, if, if you're trying to figure it out, it, it has to start there. I, I think that
4: defensively um, what the job that they did on Devin Booker is being overlooked. Um they they picked up on what was working for the Pelicans. Willie Green sort of exposed the Phoenix Suns with his coaching in the first round. And every single time Devin Booker cut the ball, I mean every single time, they had someone sitting on the nail. He could not get to the middle where he's so dangerous. And they create all that havoc and chaos when he gets middle. Didn't happen. Chris Paul, same thing, man. Like they just this defense is legit. And even when they're small, it's legit. Uh, they can play any single way you want. And in the series as, that we're about to talk about with the Warriors, man, listen, Kevon Looney is a very good player. He's tough. I mean, he had, he had a double-double with offensive and defensive rebounds in, in Game 6 against Memphis, the best offensive rebounding team in the league, one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the league. He had 11 offensive rebounds in that game. So, But this matchup, I think, is more suited to Maxie and Dwight because he's not like they've got a size advantage. But what they have is they have a defense that will allow them to play the Warriors when they're playing straight up with Looney or play the Warriors when they're playing Draymond Green at center. Uh, This team, I think, has opened a lot. I mean, of course, people don't watch the Mavericks like we do. And certainly when you play the best team in the league, and you beat them in a, a high-profile game seven like you did. You open a lot of eyes, but this next series may be the coming-out party for this defense because people are going to see just how disruptive they are. Especially like Dorian Finney-Smith, man. I, there's not enough praise that we can heap on him. The way that even like in the last game, he didn't really take a bunch of shots. He wasn't all that involved in the offense. Didn't matter. His defense just blew stuff up. Reggie Bullock. They are just. It's a team full of dogs, man. Jason Kidd is coaching his ass off. It's great. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
3: I'm expecting this coming series to essentially be decided both ways by how effectively each team can limit the other stars and what those teams can do to get the role players to compensate or make up for the limiting of the stars. I I do think that Draymond, as a short-roll, middle-of-the-floor playmaker, is unlike any player in either of the two series that Dallas has played so far. And I do think that the Warriors are... More capable, like their wing players are better off the ball, and I think that's going to matter. Uh, you know, one thing that Dallas did, obviously, they've limited threes uh, in in both series. Phoenix didn't take a ton of them. Um, you know, just even in the regular season, but clearly Dallas has been so effective at running people off the line. And if you're going to both trap the star player, uh, you know, the ball handler uh, at the top of the floor. And you're also going to run people off the off the line. There is room around the rim. There there is opportunity to get layups, and I think that's you know I'm very curious to see how well the Warriors can exploit that because they have to. They they're going to have to because the Mavericks. You know I I thought they the Mavericks bothered Steph Curry in the regular season. There's only so much we can take away from those games, but that's definitely one takeaway I had. Steph, Steph Curry doesn't look bothered like he did in multiple games. One of them was during his weird slump thing, you know, whatever that was. Uh, you know, I want to say he might not have even played in one of the four. Um, I'd, I'd have to I'd have to look back at that. There's definitely players missing. You know, um, Draymond wasn't available, I believe, in the in the last matchup. But you look at how much Dallas bothered Devin Booker, and you look at how much they bothered Donovan Mitchell. And you saw how much they bothered Steph in the regular season. It's not going to be fun for the star players. It's it's it, like even think back to Brooklyn in the regular season, the way that they targeted Kevin Durant, just doubling him every single time. You know, Jason Kidd talks about the regular season being a laboratory that they're building towards something bigger. And, you know, here and there, I had quibbles with it and, and tweaks, but you can't argue with the overall process of of the the results and where this team is now. Throwing all those double teams at Kevin Durant, even if sure, Kyrie wasn't on the floor, you know, there's addendum to all those things. It doesn't, it's not about what the Brooklyn was. It's about the fact that the Mavericks doubled him and got better at doubling him and got better at doubling star players. I, I think Jason Kidd has even learned throughout this season. He started the year not playing Reggie Bullock much. And, and now you can't even imagine Reggie, you know, not playing 40 minutes a night. And so I, I, think, I think that's the question. And, and the question is whether, you know, in this coming series, whether Golden State can get Draymond in the middle of the floor, whether they can get players like uh, Porter and, and Poole, you know, uh, cutting to the rim, getting into ad, uh, advantageous situations, and getting layups because that, that's ultimately what they're going to have to do. That, that's, if there's one weakness to this team, one thing they're willing to concede, it's, it's twos, and, and they just think they can rotate and, and get back to the rim enough that they're going to contest them and they're going to outshoot you on the other end. And, and I think that's, that's probably the, you know, that's the question of the series for me Um, because I'm not sure there's too much they can do about Luca to be honest. I mean, this is going to be one of the most insane series to watch
4: when it comes to matchup hunting. I mean, we are just, I don't know exactly how much cohesive offense we're going to see at either team, because I do think that, Golden State is going to put the ball in Steph Curry's hands at some point, even though I know that they hate to do it. I think they're going to have to do it against this defense, and they're going to be looking to get switches onto Luca because they're going to be trying to wear him down. Um, in the flow of their offense, there's stuff that they'll do that I just don't think Dallas is going to have a hard time handling. I think Dallas has but, shown that they can switch around the perimeter on some of those split cuts and things like that. But um, on the other end, for Dallas, I mean –
3: Well, Dave, 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 let's let's stick on that just real quick. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, they're going to want stuff to hunt mismatches, but unless they get Draymond or someone cutting into the middle of the lane and really taking advantage of those four on threes that Utah and Phoenix had no ability to. Right. It's just going to be traps every time. It's going to be it's going to be a mess for him like. You know, Steph's Steph's gonna have a, a tough time unless unless that happens, and 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 I think that that's why that's the first question I have, because if they get some success on this and Dallas has to adjust, that's when it becomes mismatch Evan. um, and, and and that is what we're gonna see.
2: I actually think they're not gonna start off trapping Steph. Steph has actually not shot the ball to his normal standards all season and during the playoffs, and I think they're going to live with being able to stay home on shooters and limit three-point attempts. And I think they they think they can guard stuff one on one and they have enough defenders to guard him one on one without him getting off a lot of threes. If he's getting pull up twos, if he's getting a little runners in the lane, that's fine. But I think I think that's the way that they'll start and then they'll gradually work the way up to traps based on how effective he is. And I think that's I think that's on the I was on the opposite end as far as Steph matchup hunting. I think what's going to tr- determine the series is how quickly do they get to matchup hunting, or and how long do they stay with their traditional stock play? Because I think Steve Kerr will stay with it for two, three, four games. He's pretty stubborn about staying with it. And so how long do they stay with that? And how long do the Mavericks stay with Stephen Covering? stuff is really going to determine a lot of these games.
4: I would worry about single covering Steph because the last thing that you want is for Steph Curry to start going off, right? Like you don't want him to just get rolling because then the traps don't matter. Steph yeah. gives the ball up when you when trap and and Draymond's out there. He gives the ball up so fast and so early. It puts extra pressure. You get that four on three, but Steph never stops moving, right? And know. this is, the, this is the, the trick with Steph, right? He's nearly unguardable. So I, I'm with you. I'd like to see him try to guard straight up. I just worry because Steph is so good at giving the ball up, losing his defender, and getting open looks. And then if he hits two or three of those, especially the first quarter, right, if he starts out, Two or three of those, it's a long night, man.
3: Yeah.
2: And,
4: and they're good on that too.
3: And when we talk about mismatch, trapping, and mismatch hunting, I'm anticipating trapping when he pulls Luca into the pick and roll. Yes. And so the question is how much is Golden State going to just start from the first play of the game, spamming Luca, pulling Luca and whatever, you know, whoever he's guarding and Luca into the pick and roll every single time? And that's where we're talking about Kerr's stubbornness. Is, is he willing to run just Draymond, Steph, pick and rolls for a lot of the game and be like, okay, well, you know, Luca's guarding Otto Porter. We'll let him stay in the corner over there. Or do, is it instant, instant, even though Otto Porter isn't our main screener, you know, we, we don't, you know, Golden State doesn't use him like that a, a ton. But do they just instantly go to that being like, we're going to target Luca and, and we're not going to give him a moment to, to breathe?
1: I think
5: for as much as we talk about Steph, and it's understandable because it's Golden State, I think Draymond determines a lot of this series. For what we're talking about on offense, but also defensively, like what if Dallas just basically tries to, you know, use his man and pull him to the perimeter? Because if they, if they pull that off, then it's going to be plenty of driving lanes. And that's essentially how they beat Phoenix in game three, was just, all right, we'll force the turnovers because Dallas is really good at that, and we'll just hit you at the rim over and over and over again. I think Draymond, being a unique chess piece that nobody else really has, and what golden state does and what they can succeed with on both ends that's really going to determine a lot because if Draymond isn't on top of his game that's it's hard for me even with all the golden state's offensive firepower if Draymond isn't doing a lot of Draymond things i think it's going to be a really difficult matchup for them
3: they're they're going to dare and dare him to score uh, almost almost certainly you know i have a I have a conversation with anthony slater my coworker who covers the warriors at the athletic uh that's going to run uh, tuesday morning on the athletic He's talk, you know, he was saying that whenever Draymond scores double digit points, gets double digit shots, the Warriors just have a even higher, you know, winning rate as a team because that implies that they're really getting Draymond into these situations uh that are advantageous ultimately for, for the defense. And if, if Draymond's scoring a few times, that also almost inevitably means he's also kicking it, assisting, you know, finding cutters. Uh, but he has to score a few times to to actually allow the defense to to even respect him to the point that those passes open up so i think we're going to see a lot of you know if if it's if it's those Dray, you know if draymond's getting into the middle of the floor they're gonna they're gonna stay home to a degree you know they're they're gonna cheat uh you know into the lane just enough to to try to make him think and be like oh are you really gonna shoot a semi-contested layup and and make it and are you gonna do this three possessions in a row in a row four five like can can you actually do that um I, I, think, I think that's where the series is headed in, in, in many ways. Yeah, and I think, honestly, their best defensive move is going to be Luka playing
2: Jordan Poole off the floor. Luke is going to ruthlessly hunt Jordan Poole to the point where they cannot play him, and he's not going to be able to. They're not going to have that extra ball because he's dangerous. He's more dangerous than Clay at this point, and it's especially because he can do things in isolation and he can break that guys down off the dribble. That quite honestly, like even like Chris Paul couldn't. Play that, it's going to cause problems in rotations if he's consistently getting into the lane. And I think Luke is going to ruthlessly hunt him until that Steve Kerr can barely play him.
4: I agree. I mean, I think that that's the move too. Like exactly like you said, And we were talking about the need for three guys who can shake off the dribble, right? Like you need three guys. Well, guess what, man? Jordan Poole is that third guy for the Warriors. You got you got Steph, you got Draymond, and you got Jordan Poole. If you can get Jordan Poole out of there, that's going to hurt their offense. And, and but if he's staying on the court, that is a target. I mean, it, this is the thing about the Warriors. Not only not only Jordan Poole, but Clay Thompson has not played good defense, man. I like a lot of people have given him some credit for making a play here and there. Dude, he has at large been bad defensively, especially when he gets caught in isolation. I think that's another guy that Luka can go after. There are guys that that he can target. Looney, I don't think is one of them. Draymond obviously, nobody can target him. Um but Steph because of the size issue, Jordan Poole because he's just awful, and Clay because he's he's slow. Right, so I think Wiggins, Draymond, and Kevon Looney are three guys that that the Warriors should feel like they can trust on a switch with Luca. Everybody else is debatable. Otto Porter probably okay, but man, when you're playing their guards, especially if they play all three of them at the same time, Luca's gonna feast.
5: And, and that's why I think this has to be Jalen Brunson closer to Utah than it was Phoenix-Jalen Brunson, right? Because there are there's going to be two weak links on the floor probably at all times. And if Luca's going to get what he wants and you want to sell out to stop Luca, fine. But then JB's got to be one to make him play. Or, you know, I guess, look, if Spencer he keeps the hot form up, right? But this has to be a series. The, the driving lanes will be better. The defensive options will be better. If Jalen wants to be the borderline max guy he wants to be, this is where you earn some more money right here.
2: Yeah, and I think Luka is actually going to attack Draymond a lot. I think you'll see Luka calling for switches on Draymond and pulling him out of the play and then letting Spencer and Jalen attack other guys because the Warriors' perimeter defense defense is awful. They don't have a single guy that can stay in front of Luka or can guard him. And actually, actually I don't agree. I don't think Looney can guard Can guard Luka. I think Luka will pretty much just – I think he'll destroy pretty much anyone on their perimeter defense. I just think – they're going to have to decide how they want to get beat by Luka. It's not going to be, oh, we can stop him, we can slow him down. It's how do we want to get beat?
4: I think Looney can hold up. All right, let me not say that he can guard. Who can hell can guard Luka Doncic? I don't even know if Draymond can actually guard and shut him down. He's going to make him work. I think Looney is I mean, very I good guard at that. Luca.
1: Looney, Looney is I'm good
4: different. about not fouling. He's good at using his body. And I'm thinking about the way that Looney has has defended James Harden when James Harden was a good basketball player. And, and on a switch, I, I do think that Looney can hold up, you know, admirably. He's not going to – nobody's shutting down Luca, right? But I do think that if Looney gets caught on a switch, you're not like every single time going, oh, no. He's, he's not Ennis Cantor. Yeah,
3: yeah. but how, how, yeah. I mean, how many minutes is Looney going to play? Oh, now that's a question, man. Because I th- think he starts. I, do, I think I he's going he to start. And I think it that. Seems like- I mean, as long as
4: Dallas sticks with Maxi or Dwight, I mean, I don't know. Looney's probably going to play twenty-two to 24, 25 minutes, right? Like, I mean, they're going to they're going to play a lot of Draymond at center. But I do I mean, think do Looney want- will get. I mean, if if Maxi and and Dwight are playing forty minutes. I think that you probably get twenty-two to twenty-four of of Looney. He, he's really
2: 22. good too. They're going to need his rim protection. Too. They need his rebounding. Yeah, they need his rebounding, They need his rim protection. I don't think they can survive playing on the five this whole series because they're going to get diced up. And I think Looney will end up playing. Yeah, those like twenty twenty-five minutes.
3: Yeah. yeah. Like even when Powell's off the floor, you think that's mm-hmm. still... now that's see now that's the other
4: question, right? Is it, when Maxi is Powell's the center, play
3: another ten minutes. He's going to play. You know. Say what you want about him starting. Uh, I genuinely believe it's it's kind of part of this uh, core of belief and trust that Jason Kidd has started. Like, Dwight Powell got us here. I He's think Dwight Powell has, has a role to play in this series. Also, yeah, by he, the way, like, look, he I don't has hate to play. Like, either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't hate it either. And he does have to play 10 minutes. Like, you, you can't play 48 to Maxi. In fact, you really should be aiming for 36 most games with Maxi, just with his injury history and, and his durability. Um and and they have been you know they they've been pretty you know relatively cautious with his minutes as compared to you know the wing players or or the guards um so so Dwight Powell's going to play ten minutes the the question is whether you know Looney fits into the series when he's off the court um or the question is if Steve Kerr we talked about he he can be a little bit stubborn uh but I do think gener- like he has a fantastic postseason record and he generally puts his team in the right positions. I wonder if they're going to start looking at Dwight Powell's, you know, opening five minute bursts at the at the start of the first and the third, and be like, "This is a moment if we actually just go small right away, where we can get a little bit of a leg up." And Dallas is conceding this to us. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, the, obviously the thinking is, you know, if Dwight Powell's on the floor, um, you know. We can, you know, the if they, if they can actually go five out with Dwight Powell, you know, it just opens up so much, so many more switching possibilities in uh, challenges Dallas in a way. If Looney's out there, they, they can just play traditional pick and roll coverage.
5: I think what makes this so interesting going in is this feels very much like a matchup between a very stable, low variance team and a very high variance team, right? You know what the Mavericks are. There are only so many more wrinkles with what this roster is that to really uh, to reveal. I, I think we know what Dallas is going to do. We know what they do. Well, they're very consistent. Everything we talked about with Golden State, there are ways that if they hit their ceiling and they find the right matchups and Kerr doesn't get too stubborn, they have a higher ceiling than Dallas does. But I also think there are more players to hunt. I think there are more ways that can go wrong. I think there are guys like Clay who you don't know what you're getting with his health that It felt like last round with Phoenix, obviously they beat Phoenix and Phoenix imploded, but Phoenix just felt very stable. We we thought we knew what they were. And you look at Utah and you think, okay, there's just not enough there, both psychologically and how they're playing to beat Dallas. This Golden State team, there's so much more variance than I think the first two rounds have been. If they hit their ceiling, this is going to be hard. But I also think there are a lot more visible holes to exploit than probably what they thought Phoenix had going in. Mike, Uh,
3: if the Mavericks win, what does it look like?
5: Just looks like I think a lot of what we have been looking like, right? Like I go back to this game. What was it? What was the game where they had the meltdown uh, against Memphis? Was it Game Four where Phoenix just bailed it in without uh, Morant? You and I were the talking about where they I think lost it was game, game
3: Five. five.
5: Game five, five, right? We've seen Golden State do inexplicable things, and if you read people like Marcus Thompson or Anthony, like Marcus has been very adamant that this team is not what they have been. Right? This is. There are, some, there are some holes to potentially exploit. And so I think for Dallas, it's just what they've done. It's Jason Kidd has out-adjusted both coaches he's coached against the last two series, right? He's coaching against someone who does not want to adjust unless he's forced into it. So Jason Kidd makes more adjustments. The same guys, you know, Maxie, Dory, and Reggie, keep doing what they're doing defensively. Don't get exhausted because it's not about an effort thing at this point. It's not about a smarts thing. It's really just do the minutes, catch up with them because they are getting – worked hard for lack of a better alternative. So it's those guys continuing to play at a high level. It's Luca doing what Luca has done the last two games in particular of just, I'm the best player in the series because Luka Doncic is the best player in the playoffs. Now. I don't think that's a debate anymore. I'm sorry. It's not. And then it's probably the big improvement for last round has to be a little more Jalen, but they can win this series. I really think they, they're, this is a more winnable series on paper than what Phoenix was and they beat Phoenix. So yeah, it's doable. It's doing what you've done. Get a little more from Jalen.
3: Austin, if they lose, what does it look like?
2: They lose. It means Steph Curry had a great series. Steph Curry got back to his 2016 form and he hit a lot of threes. And they, and then that cascaded into other defensive breakdowns, and Clay got hot. And Andrew Wiggins decided to play like an all star starter for a few games. I think he's been awesome in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. He's, he he'll can, always can get, get up you for, 18 he, points. Yeah. If he gets you need up 25, he'll get
3: you 18. Yeah. If you need 18, he'll get you 18. And he's a good athlete and he can create his own shot. It's
2: just whether or not he's going to be efficient. Um, And then Draymond also getting more involved offensively. I think them just like everyone on all four of their main guys getting in sync and the Mavericks just running out of options because they don't have enough defensive um, capabilities to cover all the holes.
3: Give us a closing thought, Dave. On this
4: upcoming series or just what they've done so far? I'll I'll do either. I don't know. All right, let's talk about the upcoming series. Surprise us. The Mavericks are a team that shouldn't be here. They shouldn't. Teams don't normally make midseason trades of one of their star players, quote unquote, for two guys who have been injured for the most of the last year and a half and then see an uptick in play. That just doesn't happen. You don't affect your team usually with a midseason trade in the way that the Mavericks did. But they bought into this identity and they are willing to see it through. And that is unique. Knowing who you are as a basketball team is your priority. That's priority number one. Who are we? The Mavericks know who they are. They are tough motherfuckers. And I expect them to be tough against the Warriors. And even if they lose, it won't be
3: because they're soft. How's that? That was fantastic. They have Luca and they have identity. It's pretty much all you can ask for. We're going to end it here. I'll be in uh in San Francisco for game 1, for game 2. Read the Athletic, subscribe to the Athletic. Subscribe to follow us. Follow Tim Cato on the Athletic app. Yeah, do that too. Yeah, that'd be a good thing to do. But don't follow Rate me in and real review life. the podcast follow Austin
4: spooked. and Mike on Twitter. Yeah,
5: and do, do sports, all on work.
3: Do do every one of those things at and uh listen to us very soon. We'll be back after game one. Thanks for listening.
2: He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't
3: fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luke a deal from the
2: home of Melania Trump How many kids you
5: have Don't fight the future It tears me
1: apart Don't fight the future Please be nice to Luca Future four-time MVP Oh my God! Oh! oh, oh, oh That's a wrap.